Hello, everyone. I'm Len Vermillion, Editor-in-Chief of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com, and welcome to another edition of the Control Amplified podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Thomas, who is the founder and inventor of the technology powering Skynet, These days, he serves as CEO of the company, which, for more than three decades, has developed process control, system integration, and software for real-time data communications. So now we're going to talk about the interplay of OT and IT. And of course, if you're listening to this, you probably already know that's operational technology and information technology. But we're going to dive into the connection of both. So first of all, Andrew, thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Len. It's my pleasure. So let's start by talking about the advantages of connecting OT to IT. What can you say about those advantages? Well, uh, obviously the big one is uh, timely access to information. Mm -hmm. uh, If you isolate your IT and your OT networks, uh, you end up with communication between them being effectively human mediated. So you end up with slow communication, incomplete information, error prone. I mean, I, I remember a system back in the day that was, that communicated between IT and OT using crayon on uh, on paper napkins. So we've gone a long way since then. There is a real advantage to getting that information directly from OT into IT and from IT back into OT. Uh, obviously, for production planning, for resource management, um, safety analytics, uh, monitoring, fault prediction. Um, not not everybody needs real time data up to the second data in IT. But there is a really big advantage in not having to wait till the end of a shift or the end of the day in order to gain some production insight. So one of the rules around communicating between IT and OT is that the OT network should never have a direct internet connection. And that means that you've got to route data through IT in order to get to some of the up and coming services like uh, AI systems that are cloud uh, provided, centralized monitoring where you've got uh, multiple uh, geographically diverse locations, centralized reporting, aggregation of data from different sources, all of that needs some, some mechanism to get the data out to those, to those processing locations, but you don't want that to be a direct connection out of OT. So IT stands in the way. And a lot of companies that we deal with now are looking at ways to share data with third parties. So they've got suppliers or customers who want some access to the real-time information coming off of their processes either for just-in-time supply or for some insight into what the process is doing that they know what to know, know what to expect, the customers know what to expect. Uh, that, again, needs a transmission path that isn't direct to the internet. And again, that goes through IT. So we'd love to see everything go smoothly all the time, but there's got to be challenges involved here. What are some of the challenges of connecting OT and IT? Well, I see three big ones, really. Yeah. Uh, which I'd classify as availability, security, and reliability. Mm -hmm. So availability is effectively just the ability to provide a consumer who needs that data with the, you know, when the data is required in a form that that consumer can use. And that means that you, uh, you need to design networks to be able to deliver the data. You need to choose protocols that, you know, deliver the data in the, in the, in the uh, form that the customer or the consumer can use. And those are not independent choices. If you choose a certain protocol, that is going to affect your network topology. And if you you have a certain network topology in mind, that's going to limit your protocols that you can choose. 
So, you know, as an example, OPCUA will force you to pierce the uh, OT firewall, which is something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, if you want to use a cloud service, you need the cloud, you need to use that, whatever that cloud service's API is. And so you may expect a direct connection from OT into the cloud, which is another no-no. And so that that's going to play into security. I would say that security and availability are inversely correlated. The more available you want to make your data, the less secure it's going to be and vice versa. And so you have to uh, adjust your availability requirements according to your security needs. So when we look at um, something like uh, industrial protocols, typically they're not designed with the goal of sharing data across networks. They're typically client server designs, which are just inappropriate uh, when the server is in the protected network. So in your IT network, OT network, I'm sorry, you don't want to have be reaching into the OT network in order to collect data from a server. Okay. So you're probably going to end up with a mix of protocols depending on the leg of the journey that your data is taking. So from all the way from a, a PLC or a DCS right up to a cloud system or an analysis system in IT, you may need different protocols for each hop that that data is taking as it moves. And, you know, frankly, security usually trumps uh, availability questions. And so if, if security, security considerations will limit your protocol choices, will limit the availability of your data. You know, and, and as, as well, there's a reliability issue. And by reliability, what I mean is preserving data during disconnections. So if you have a network connection loss, um, or, uh, or you have a hardware failure, you want to preserve as much data as you can through that process. And that typically means that you want to have some kind of um, uh, store forward capability if, so that you can deal with a network loss and you want some kind of um, a redundancy capability so that, if you, so that you can have multiple data paths. So if one data path goes down, the other data path is available. And once again, your choice of protocol determines how much redundancy or what sort of store and forward you can offer. And so that again, limits protocol choices. Um, if the, if you were, you're relying on a particular vendor's um, redundancy solution, for example, that may limit your security capabilities or your network topology. And, you know, frankly, we look at store and forward as an example, where, where you want to store data locally until the network is available and then to retransmit that as something that should be on a separate channel altogether from real-time data, because it's not real-time. You don't want to be performing control on data that's stale, that's hours old. So you don't want to send historical information or that recovery information as if it were current, because that's just dangerous. It's wrong. Right. And that brings up another problem. And that is that even within this you know, variety of protocols we have available, we have the additional problem of historian protocols, which are completely different from typical real-time protocols like MQTT or OPC. The historian protocols are, again, client-server. They expect a direct connection. There's no ability to, uh, to, root, uh, to um, send those through intermediaries. And so you, again, need to pierce firewalls in order to be able to get that historical information to whatever the, the target historian is. So I want to talk about best practices for connecting but before we do that let's you were talking about protocols right now so can i ask what protocols are people using and and what are the advantages and disadvantages of each um well <laughs> there are many but let's touch on the on the popular ones yeah. then um 
So uh, I remember a day before OPC when everybody, every vendor had to write a driver for every device protocol that they wanted to support, and there were hundreds. And and that that was that was an awful time to be a to to be a, a client vendor. Uh, OPC really was a huge leap forward. I'm talking about OPC DA or OPC Classic. It was a huge leap forward. It gave us, you know, a fast, standard, robust protocol for communications. Uh, it, it eliminated huge problems with, uh, with with quality of device drivers because good quality de developers uh, came came about who could provide standard drivers that everybody could use. But there were problems with it. It's coupled to MS Windows. It's got an awful security implementation through DCOM. And nobody in their right mind would recommend using it for sharing data between IT and OT. And yet it is the most common protocol that we see today for data coming from the process. So we can't just ignore it. But what we do see is a shift now from OPC Classic to OPC UA, and that's been gaining traction over the last few years. Uh, and for obvious reasons, it's got a better security implementation. It runs on a lot of different devices, not just Windows, but uh, Linux, or basically any operating system that has sufficient power to run it. Uh, even PLC vendors are building it right into their PLCs so they can bypass third-party drivers. And it has a really flexible data model. So it's, it's good for a broader range of data than, uh, than OPC Classic was. And the issues that we see with it, though, is that the flip side of flexibility is complexity. It's very complex. It's hard to implement. It's, uh, implementations are often buggy, often incomplete, uh, and they're hard to get right. Although, you know, commercial and free toolkits are improving a lot, uh, especially over the last, uh, say, three or four years relative to what they were at the beginning. So we have seen people try to use OPC UA for sharing data with IT. And I would say that that's a substantial temptation. Uh, because the security model seems good. Uh, but the problem is that it's still client-server. You still need to pierce the, uh, the OT firewall. You still need to um, expose your server and your OT network to attack. It, it's really not appropriate, even though it seems better than, than uh, something like uh, OPC Classic. And, you know, for example... Uh, OPC UA has been presented to the last few uh, ZDI hackathons over the last few years, 2020 and 2022 at least. And um, it, it's hackable and it kind of proves the point. It's a reminder to us that even security focused software is not immune from attack. Ideally, we should not be exposing it, the OPC UA endpoints at all outside of OT. And so that has produced, or that, that kind of thinking is becoming more and more common amongst the uh, the, the, the the customers, especially larger customers, um, that's produced a, some some interest in MQTT. Um, MQTT is not new; it's not hasn't suddenly appeared in the last couple of years. It was designed back in 1999, but it's the 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 uh, security model that it provides or that it uh, suggests anyway is better for this kind of data sharing, sharing data between OT and IT. Uh, you can keep your firewall firewalls closed. You can put an, an MQTT broker in a DMZ, not have to worry about opening your firewalls on either the OT or the IT systems. And so that data sharing can be much more secure than it would have been if you had, say, relied on OPC UA. Um, MQTT is it's simple, it's easy to implement, runs on any hardware, any operating system. 
And it's a great edge protocol for small devices, which is exactly what it was designed for. The problem is that with that, the reason it's simple is because it's simplistic. As a protocol, it lacks a lot. It lacks a payload definition. So there's new interoperability amongst vendor, uh, vendor software and hardware. Uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't offer message order guarantees. It's not browsable. It's unreliable under load. It's under unreliable under mul uh, multiple transmission situations. So as a backbone protocol, it's just unsuitable. And that's driven people, driv driven interest into uh, Eclipse Sparkplug. With Sparkplug B now, they just call it Sparkplug, which is built on top of MQTT. And it's trying to resolve a lot of MQTT's problems. Uh, you know, the biggest contribution that Sparkplug has, has brought is um, is a payload definition. So now that interoperability question where the payload was totally undefined in MQTT, it's now it's now strictly defined under uh, under Sparkplug. And so vendors software can interoperate. And that that is really a big improvement. They've also added an, a presence mechanism so that um, uh, applications in the Sparkplug uh, environment can identify one another and locate one another. But it still inherits the problems, the built-in problems of MQTT. So MQTT as a protocol has its problems at the protocol level, and Sparkplug can do nothing to solve those. And so it still suffers from those limitations. And that primarily manifests as, as collapsing under load. So let's go back and talk about how to set this up. So what are some of the best practices? Obviously, there's a lot of things to consider. What are some of the best practices when you want to connect OT and IT? Yeah, I would say a lot of them are, are attitudinal or, or mm. rules, I guess. Um, IT and OT, in my opinion, should treat one another as hostile. And I don't mean that there's hostility between the two teams that people can get along, but the network shouldn't. Mm -hmm. uh, right? there, there should not be an opportunity that if one of the networks is compromised, the other one can be because there's an entry point between them. So they should be entirely distinct from one another uh, and, and there should be no connection whatsoever. No, no program should be able to connect from one network to the other. And in order to do that, you'll have to set up a DMZ or some mechanism that, that stands between the two networks. A DMZ is a common case. And some people say, well, we only open one port. I mean, I have heard this many times. I've lost count of the number of times mm -hmm. I've heard people say, you only have to open one port when you use our when you use our solution. And that really misses the point. It's not firewall ports that are attacked during during a, a an attempted compromise on a network. It's the software that runs listening on that port. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your development team is like, there is always a there's always an exploit. So the only way to protect yourself from exploit through a open firewall port is not to have an open firewall port. So the bottom line is you should not be making statements like, oh, it's only one port or it's only mm -hmm. a couple of ports. There should be none. There should be no, no path from IT to OT or OT to IT directly. It should be going mm -hmm. through an intermediary that, that resolves that issue. You know, the second thing is OT should not be connected to the internet. And a lot of people say, well, why? I mean, so what? It's connected to the internet. And the, it's one way. It's through a firewall. Nobody's going to attack. Not true. If an exploit it, it makes its way into that OT network somehow, you know, via an infected USB stick or some sort of social engineering attack, you don't want it to get out. Because if, if the OT network can reach the internet, then 
you can exfiltrate data. So you, you're basically just theft of data from the OT network, which is a potential problem. You can download more malware. You need an outbound connection to download malware. You need an outbound connection to initiate a remote shell. So once there's, if there's mal malware in the OT system, you don't want it out. So you don't want that connection to the internet. And that includes connections through things like proxies and VPNs, any connection that gives you access to the internet is enough to expose the OT network to additional attack. Uh, along those lines, you don't expose data that you don't need to expose. So if you're, if you're sending data from OT to an IT system, to a cloud system, typically those systems don't need all the data. They don't need insight into every possible variable within the OT network. Just expose the data that is needed for the application you're trying to execute upon. Uh, there's no reason to give an external system access to your whole server. So if you've got an OPC UA server, don't just open it up and let people let the IT system get into it. And you know, one other thing is that you know we see sharing of data between IT and OT as as, as a big opportunity for high-level analysis, for um, for uh, AI, for closed-loop control. But if you're going to do closed-loop control, the data that you get back from the IT network or from, from your cloud system should be sanity checked before it's applied. So your, your OT network, your OT receiver of that external data should not be just accepting it and applying it to the, to the uh, process. It should be going through a sanity check ahead of time to ensure that where you do have conversation back from IT, it's at least not going to do some damage to your process. So you, you talked a lot about um, during the setup about security. I just want to, before I let you get out of here, um, is there any other ways you keep secure, keep your system secure? Because uh, I know security is really the big issue for a lot of people. You know, concern, concern. Well, uh, you know, what I've touched on is communication security. Mm -hmm. And the obvious parts of that, I, I you know, just just to reiterate a little bit, you know, treat your external networks as hostile. Keep your firewalls closed. Mm -hmm. No direct connections from OT to the internet. Don't expose data you don't have to. Do sanity checks on incoming data. But that is the technical approach mm -hmm. to security. The biggest thing you can do is educate your humans. Mm -hmm. Really, technical defenses will take you a long way in terms of automated attacks, but the attacks that quite often uh, bring a system down are social engineering attacks or their um, their accidental misconfiguration of network uh, network hardware. They're things that, that you cannot mitigate against purely through uh, technical means. They have to be done through education, through uh, through um, you know making sure that the humans in the loop understand the risks and are able to uh, identify them and defend against them. Well, Andrew, that's a lot of great information. And um, I want to thank you for being here today. I'm sure we'll have a lot of takeaways and I'm sure we'll be talking about this subject for a long time to come. Uh, Never ends. Well, thank you, Len. Uh, thanks very much. All right. Thanks again. And we will talk to you again soon.